Welcome to Actions Antidotes, your antidote to the mindset that keeps you settling for less. I've been thinking a lot about some of the problems that we're experiencing in the world today. And in my humble opinion, just from my observations, talking with people, reading things, it seems like what a lot of people are missing are three of the building blocks for a good life, purpose, confidence, and resilience. And what I mean by that is that the purpose to understand, get some grounding behind why you're doing what you're doing, making it meaningful. The confidence, of course, is the ability to really execute on it, believe in yourself. And resilience is how we respond to kind of bad things that happen. And I see so many of the less fortunate, less happy things going on in the world today. I see a crisis where a lot of people are lacking one or all three of these particular things. My guest today, Ariel Naftali, is an executive coach for purpose-driven leaders. She helps people find their purpose and perform up to that purpose. Ariel, welcome to the program. Hi, Stephen. Thanks so much for having me. Ariel, thank you so much for joining us today on Actions Antidotes. First of all, what is the name of your business? My business is Perform With Purpose. And I know a very <laughs> cliche title there as a purpose coach, but... Uh, Perform a Purpose, and we are uh, located in Denver, Colorado. And your website brings up both performance and purpose. How do you see these things intersecting with one another, and which one comes first and which one's more important? Great question. I started my work mostly in the performance realm working with athletes, and I didn't realize this emphasis on purpose was important in the beginning of that work. A lot of the work that I was doing was helping athletes with their mindset to perform at a higher level. But what I realized for myself and for them as well is if they're not clear on why they're doing what they're doing, if they haven't really attached a meaningful reason behind the effort, the work, the energy, their time that they're putting into something, when they actually reach that goal that they're setting, that performance metric it doesn't end up feeling as satisfying or fulfilling as they thought it was because they didn't attach it to something meaningful to them. That had me rethink my whole process and my whole focus and wanting to center more on this purpose lens first to figure out what's actually important to you, what's actually meaningful to you. And once we identify that, then let's set goals in line with it and help you perform at the height of your potential in the pursuit of that to ensure that you're actually setting yourself up for a career, a life that's going to be more fulfilling and more satisfying on the other side. Well, it's interesting that this came from the world of athletics, because I think a lot of us have in our minds what professions feel like they have a lot of purpose and which professions feel like they don't. And uh, do you see this as varying a lot? Do you see a lot of athletes that understand, say, you're running for track, for example, understand like, why did I pick this sport? Why does this sport interest me? And why do I want to reach my peak performance at this particular activity? I don't think that I've seen that there's a deeper connection to purpose, to certain lines of work from a topic perspective or role perspective. I think any role can feel purposeful. Where I think that the differentiating factor is one on the individual level, 
is what you're doing in service of something that you personally care about. That's a really important distinction because you might be able to identify some cause that you know is important generally. Like I might say that working towards helping climate change issues is an important cause and matter that's happening in our world today. But that doesn't mean necessarily that me working in an organization that's helping to fight climate change is what's going to be most meaningful to me. Mm. And so we really want to get clear on an individual level. What is it that really moves the needle for us? What is it that makes us tick on a macro level, putting ourselves in organizations, if you're at the employee level, that align in the values that you have and are working towards a mission that you genuinely care about. That makes sense. And I'm wondering how many people fall into this trap because I think a lot of people have these causes that maybe you're supposed to care about. Do you observe a lot of people who picked a cause maybe because so many people around them decided that that's an important cause, but wasn't their specific purpose? Yeah. I do have a number of clients who come in who are doing work on a volunteer basis or on the board of some organization or part of an organization that has a really altruistic mission because that person's identified that they want to help people or they want to help the world. They want to make a positive impact in some way, which is step one in the process. You got to get there to make effective progress towards that purpose alignment. I would say there is certainly a disconnect sometimes for some of those people if the thing that they are immersing themselves in doesn't have a personal connection to who they are and the life experiences that they have had. Often what it is, like the missions that we feel passionate about, we feel so passionate about them because they relate to a life experience that we've had. They relate to some painful experience that maybe we've had. Like if you are someone who spends all day in your house playing video games and never goes outside in nature, you may never realize that or care that climate change is a problem that's happening in our world. You might read about it, but if you're not viscerally experiencing that shift and like really seeing it happen in front of you, there might not be that deeper connection to the mission. So yeah, I do see that play out. One time I met someone who had moved from Italy to Iceland. And this person acknowledged saying, when I first heard about climate change and I was living in Italy, I said, okay, the world's going to go up two degrees Celsius. It's 25 because they do Celsius everywhere else. It's 25 degrees Celsius, which is 77 here in Fahrenheit. And I'm wearing a t-shirt. So what? It'll be 27 and I'll just be wearing a t-shirt. And that's about it. Right. But then when you moved to Iceland and saw that those two degrees made the difference between rain and snow and made the difference between the glacier staying where it is and the glacier starting to melt, he saw it more. And it's like, this is when I decided to care about this issue. So I think that whole makes sense that you have to like have some sort of a personal relationship to it. And do you think it's always the experience someone has, or can it be sometimes a little bit more complicated because people sometimes will think about a specific experience, the 
whole idea of the inner child wanting to always get what you were denied when you were younger, or can sometimes involve maybe a need to dive deeper and to go into little known memories or weird connections between events. I think it always relates to some experience that we've had, whether it's on a conscious or subconscious level, tends to drive what it is that we feel we gravitate towards. I can say for myself in the work I'm doing is not as necessarily tangible as working to fight climate change or homelessness, but it is driven from a past experience of not feeling a sense of belonging in my childhood and wanting to now help people feel like one, they belong and two, they can be exactly who they are and accepted for who they are. And three, my experience in the corporate world doing work that just didn't light me up and didn't fulfill me and didn't feel like it really aligned with who I authentically was. It didn't allow me to actually perform at the height of my potential because of that. All those experiences coupled together have led me to become passionate about helping people and serving people in the way that I am. And so it can be multiple experiences at different times in life that form what it is that you value, what it is you care to serve. And also that purpose, that thing that you care to serve can evolve over the course of your lifetime as well. Yeah, I actually have tried to tell people more and more, not this is what my life's mission is. This is what my mission right now is, or this is what I'm tackling at this point. Because I mean, even what this podcast is about, for example, there's a possibility that 10, 15 years from now, for some reason, based on cultural changes, society trends might not be necessary because maybe we've abandoned the 40 hour work week due to automation and people are okay. That is 25 hours a week, but it's a terrible job, but it's only 25 hours a week. And therefore we can deal with the fact that it's kind of just grunt work that doesn't really matter. One thing I'm wondering is if you're willing to indulge or share is that Specifically to you and your story, how did your experiences that came together line you up to decide that you wanted to start your own business? You wanted to start your own executive coaching business? So many things, and I'm sure many that I am not consciously aware of at the moment. But I would say I always had a sense that I was good at reading people and really getting to the heart of what drives them, what they're feeling, what they're experiencing, like sensing the energy of someone else. I was the friend that people came to to unload all their problems on and talk about. exhausting. (laughs) (laughs) For many, it probably is. For me, I loved it. And so, you know, that was a hint that I didn't pay attention to in the beginning that I was kind of meant to be in some sort of direct helping role with other humans on an individual level. It took me a while to fully embrace that quality in myself. But when I did really embrace that, I think that is one piece of the puzzle of what led me to to pursue this direction in coaching and to start my own business in it. I'd honestly say a lot of that comes from my family, from my parents who both run their own businesses and seeing that it's possible. It can be a reality and seeing the level of autonomy that they have in their roles compared to 
their peers. Of course, tons of downsides. There's pros and cons to every direction you take it. But I think seeing that they really could design the life that they wanted for the most part in the way that they wanted, I wanted that for myself. And that was probably the initiating factor, like the catalyst that allowed me to believe in myself enough to feel like it was possible. And then once I actually started the journey, I think it's my mission now that carries me in wanting to continue running and growing my business because I feel so strongly aligned with the work I'm doing and the way I'm doing and the approaches I'm using. Not that I think I'm right and someone else's approach is wrong, but I really feel like the work I'm doing is meant to be out in the world in in the way that I'm sharing it for those who feel supported by it. And so I want to be able to want to be the one to dictate how that goes. You know, maybe I've gotten stubborn with it at this point, but here we are, and uh, we'll see how it continues to evolve. Well, it reminds me of any mission I'm on and how I approach people who are also on the same mission, but going about it with maybe different tactics or have different businesses. And so I've had other podcasters with very similar themes on this podcast before, and it's been the same idea that I've always had, which is, okay, what I'm putting out there may resonate with some people and what they're putting out there may resonate with different people. And that's okay. The same way, I don't think there's any shortage of people who are lost in a way. Reminds me of the lyric from the great rapper, J. Cole, who said, the good news is that you came a long way, but the bad news is you went the wrong way. I feel like words like that, phrases like that have resonated because there are so many people who in one way or another have that issue. A couple of follow-up questions I had is that, first of all, were your parents your inspiration? And if so, do you think it required, say, some other mentors or other people in your life that were encouraging you to go the route that you really felt like was the right route based on everything you'd experienced in your life and kind of how you figured out who you are and what you naturally do well? Yeah, that's a that's a really great question. and great point. I think that I don't know anyone who's been successful, at least in the way I define it, like in terms of fulfillment and satisfaction without some sort of positive mentorship experience. And I think my parents made me believe that it was possible to design my life the way I wanted it to be and to feel confident in my abilities to do so. But there were so many mentors I had in addition to that along the way that Pave the road. And it's an interesting question about mentorship specifically because my mom conducted research. She is also, she is a career coach in a way. So Apple doesn't fall far from the tree, Mm -hmm. but she conducted research with a bunch of quote unquote successful people in her life and made this distinction between we're speaking financially well off. Yes. But she made the distinction in her research between those who were successful and happy and those who were successful and unhappy. Oh, wow. And try to see like, what's the differentiating factor here between someone who does really well financially and is happy and that who does really well financially and is unhappy. And the number one (laughs) factor that she found was that they had mentorship. They had a positive source of mentorship in their life. And that kind of always sat with me as such an important part of the journey. If you don't have any kind of North Star is like a very cliche way to put it. 
but I've never used that term in my life. But if you don't have anyone, I feel like to look up to, to say like, that's, I I admire that. Like, I want to be like that. I think it's hard to fully define for yourself how you want to be in the world. So if someone listening right now feels like they don't have a mentor of any kind, what would you suggest that someone does to, to find that, whether it be looking for a mentor that's going to specifically talk to you one-on-one or some sort of a, a hero that you follow from a distance, which I've, I've seen both examples and I've, I've heard stories about people being positively influenced by both examples or both manners in which to find that. I think a lot of times mentorship relationships can happen more organically, but you know, maybe what some might not be taking advantage of is maybe there are acquaintances in your life or people that are in your network in some capacity that you really admire, that Mm -hmm. you really look up to, or you really just respect the work that you're doing, reach out to them. And it doesn't need to be like, Hey, can you be my mentor at like first conversation, but spend some time doing relationship building with the people in your life who you think kind of have, have some stuff figured out that you want to have figured out and see what becomes of that relationship. And if you don't have anyone in your life that personally or professionally, that you feel like can be that guiding light in some sense, you can ask, you know, a trusted friend or family member, who do they go to for advice or guidance? I think it's never impossible to have that as an option, to have that as a resource, just about doing your homework, like, and getting a sense of what's around in your community. I think there's, there's so many opportunities for relationship building that we miss out on starting to tune into those, those people and begin the relationship building process. And, you know, if you, if you, if you're showing up with integrity and being genuine to, to who you are, those relationships tend to evolve organically on their own. It doesn't need to be such a regimented process of developing a source of mentorship. So it doesn't need to be, I'm issuing a RFP request for proposal for mentors. And I would like everyone to submit this five page (laughs) questionnaire out there. And I will make a selection by noon, August 28th. (laughs) Hey, you know what? I've never seen it done. Maybe you're onto something. (laughs) I mean, I had no idea. And you said that there's a lot of missed opportunities for relationship building. What do you think is the number one, if someone's going to take away one, maybe two places where they're missing opportunities for relationship building out there? People that they meet for the first time who they enjoy getting to know there was some sort of connection there, or they just witnessed and felt like, hey, that's a that's a cool person. I like how they're showing up. I think it's those moments where it's just so much easier to then go back to our routine, to talk to our friends, to talk to our family, to, to get back in conversation with those we're already in a deeper relationship with, because that's our comfort zone. Then to step a little bit outside of our comfort zone and say, I'm going to reach out to that person. I'm going to see if they're open to a conversation. I want to learn more about who they are and their journey and how they got to where they are. I think those are the the conversations that we don't organically lean into that on the mentorship side, 
people are almost always willing to have a conversation and help someone out if they can. And I think sometimes we like fear gets in the way or we don't even realize that there's an opportunity there because we think that everyone else is too busy for us. But from my experience, most people really do want to help truly. Just anywhere out there in life, if you meet someone and there's almost every city has some form of like meetup networking group or something like that. And you're like, okay, this person, I think we have a lot in common. I think we have similar goals, similar vibes. It's just a matter of making an effort with that person and saying, Hey, you know, let's hang out or let's meet up for coffee or meet up for lunch and discuss periodically what's going on in our lives type of thing. Yeah. And it could be your soccer team. It could be a networking group. It could be your work. It could be company-wide meeting you attended that someone spoke at that you thought was really impressive and you admired how they showed up. It can be all over the place. There was something else you you said that spoke to me, but I, I lost my train of thought with it. So maybe it'll come back as we're moving through it, the conversation. Well, let me know if that comes back because one thing I've noticed that you've been saying a lot is how you show up, how they show up. What's the most important thing about how anyone shows up for whatever it is they're attending? Awareness of self and awareness of the space that you're entering, the context that you're entering. I think there's this movement of being your full self at work. Why is there such a distinction between who you are at home and who you are at work? And I think that showing up fully in who you are doesn't mean that you are unprofessional or rude or disrespectful. It means that you still carry yourself with a level of of kindness and compassion and understanding and respect and awareness of the context that you're in, but you're not filtering your language to simply say what you think people want to hear. You're saying what you think actually matters, what will actually be impactful, what will actually help the people in that in that space, in that meeting that you're showing up as. So, you know, sometimes saying the thing that makes people uncomfortable isn't necessarily wrong, but there needs to be this distinction between like discomfort at a level of safety and discomfort as a level of, well, we're all just not great at handling hard conversations, but this hard conversation needs to happen. What I need is trying to be as genuine and authentic to yourself as as you can be while having a respect for the people who are also there in that space. And I think like the word professionalism can really be toyed around with and meant to mean something that it's not. I don't think professionalism is what you dress like and and how you look. I think it's how you carry yourself, how you treat people, how you show up in integrity. Do you follow through on what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it? And then thinking about how do we show up to professional spaces or any space, really, with a level of intentionality. It made me think of the difference between, say, you're in a conversation and you don't necessarily care for the direction it's going. And on one end, you could just be like, this doesn't matter. You're all stupid for thinking this or just saying something like, well, actually, I have found that we need to look into this, this and that instead, because that's what I think is the real root of the problem. Right. So something along those lines. 
Right, right, exactly. Like, have you heard of not stand-up comedy? The, where you need to like build on the last thing the person said. Oh, you mean the improv where improv, you're supposed to say, you. yes, oh you're not supposed to say no word. and fight the person that said something, yes. right? Yeah. The, the yeah. yes and idea where like <laughs> yeah. they say something, you're like, yes, and you build on top of it. And so I think there really is a way to incorporate that yeah. <laughs> in these spaces where you're not rejecting someone, but you're adding to their thought process. Like, yes. And here's my idea. And I think your idea is valid too. And like, let's talk about this and have an open conversation because everything that we have to share is valid. Everyone has input, different perspective that can be meaningful. And that doesn't mean they're all the right answer to the situation that you're trying to talk through, but they have a valid place in the space to be considered and work through. What would make someone less likely to feel threatened by hearing something that differs from their perspective or differs from what their idea is? Understanding what their values are and how those values are driving their beliefs and therefore what they think should happen in X situation. Because the more we can understand our values, the more we realize that it's not a matter of right and wrong or good and bad, but just different different views, different perspectives. Mm -hmm. I think that can be really helpful in kind of disarming the situation and not taking everything so personally. And from the lens of the person who might be criticizing a point of view Mm -hmm. to disarm, you know, the person who shared the view, I think it's first important to show up from a place of empathy, like really trying to understand where that person's coming from and their perspective. So maybe you know, one expressing, I completely understand how you might feel that this would be the way to move forward because of this life experience. Or maybe you even, you know, first show up from a place of curiosity and asking that person, that's an interesting point that you made. I'm curious to know more about how you arrived at that viewpoint and really trying to first like show that you care and that you care about understanding where they're coming from before proving your point. And I think once you show up from that place of curiosity and create more of that trusted safe space, then you have more room to step in with what your thoughts are on the matter. And I think that would also kind of disarm the conversation. Now, is it possible to come from a place of curiosity in the most extreme example of someone says, well, my opinion is you're a piece of shit. And to literally respond and be like, well, I'm curious, like, what is it that made you believe that I am a piece of shit? Like, is that, is that, <laughs> is that Honestly, possible? Steven, yes. <laughs> but you have to have enough emotional management on your end, of course, to not be reactive to someone calling you a piece of shit. Yeah. It can be you to be the first one to step up in that conversation, to be like, genuinely, I- I'm curious, like, <laughs> why do you feel like I'm a piece of shit? I really want to know. Cause I mean, one, that person will probably be like, well, I was not expecting that response. Uh, no, not at all. But two, it, it honestly really opens up the space to have a real honest conversation. And if you tell me that that conversation plays out in, in your life at some point in the future, please try the Entering it from a space of curiosity, though I can't ever imagine someone calling you a piece of shit. <laughs> uh, it, it, it can happen. I mean, there's there's other parts of my life, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, 
I, it sounds silly because it's not how we talk in quote unquote normal everyday life, but I really do think it could be effective. I also kind of want to go back to what you were discussing about being passionate about your specific um, methods for helping people find their why and use that to improve their performance. Because maybe people out there are curious about what it is you do and how it is that you do it. There's three pillars that I work on with people who really want to connect to that deeper sense of purpose. Typically, it's through their work. For some, it's through their contribution outside of work. Those three pillars are one, your natural skill sets, your personality type, your essence, your energy. I call this the who. (laughs) There's three Mm W. I call this the who, your purpose. Really finding a way to engage with the world that speaks to your strengths and speaks to personality types. So Mm. who you, yeah. So who you are, who you really are as a person. And so I'll just for sake of confidentiality, I'll, I'll use myself as an example instead of a client. I always knew I was someone who liked being around people. I liked connecting with others and I was good at it. Like I was good at building relationships. It was one of the areas that I felt strong in. That's part one. Part two is what it is that you're actually interested in. I call this the what pillar. And this is more at a topic or subject-based level. What kinds of information do you like engaging with? So I might be someone who likes being around people, but if I'm not interested at all at like actually understanding how the human mind works and learning about that process, I might not become a coach. I might become a manager. I mean, there's an element of needing, wanting to understand how, how people work in order to be effective in, in any kind of relationship, but I might not be in such a direct helping profession if I didn't also find psychology really fascinating. So that intersection of the who and the what really helped me get to this point. And then the third part, the third pillar of purpose is the why piece, the third W. So why do you actually want to do the work that you're doing? Does it matter to you? Does the impact that it's going to have, does the influence that it's going to have matter to you? So me seeing the impact that I have on clients, seeing, you know, light bulb moments go off, seeing their career transitions happen that are so powerful, seeing them step into work that makes them so happy and satisfied and fulfilled, seeing them performing and stepping into massive leadership roles in the organizations. That is my why. And if I wasn't connected to that, I'd feel a little misaligned in the role that I was doing. So those are the three things I would suggest people think about in finding that intersection for purposeful and meaningful work. I'm assuming you have that in that particular order as well, because uh, I think some people might be familiar with uh, Simon Sinek with his start with why or find your why. And it sounds like what you're saying is that, yeah, the why is the underlying reason, but to find your why you first by examining who you are, just what makes you take as a person, then what specifically interests you And then, you know, why is it that it interests you? Right. Because you need to know yourself in order to know why you care about what you care about. And so how we spoke about earlier, 
often the, the thing we feel passionate towards or the cause we feel passionate towards is often a reflection of a previous life experience we had and something that either created a pain point for us or was an experience that made us feel like something was really important. We need to have a, that reflection point in order to get to the why. We might understand that we care about something, but without understanding why we care about it, yeah, yeah. it's hard to make it really applicable in the real world. And so, yes, exactly like you're saying, that's why it's important to start with the, with the who, with the identity piece first. And so when you're working with your clients, do you oftentimes end up going back into people's past experience, past memories, traumas even? Yeah. So we will do, (laughs) we'll look at a lot of past experiences around, you know, important moments, achievements that they've had, accomplishments that felt meaningful, problems they solved that felt meaningful. When it gets into the trauma work, I am not licensed to work um, on a trauma basis. And so super important, valuable work. But if and when I have people that I come across who I feel like need a heal from some trauma first before really getting into our work together, I would refer them elsewhere. To a therapist or something? Yeah, you know, to to a licensed mental health professional. Sometimes clients have already done that work and they have done a lot of the healing around a trauma. And they do come to me from a place of being able to speak about that trauma and feel safe, reflect on it and think about how it serves their larger why. And what is the situation of the typical client that you tend to work with? Is it someone that's looking for purpose, looking to find their why? Is there something else about their situation? The common thread between everyone I work with is that they want to pivot into feeling like what they spend their time doing is meaningful. They want to feel like they matter, like there's a purpose to their existence. And a very easy transference of that is through our work or through our contribution. I'd say that on a demographic level, there tends to be two buckets of people I work with. It's often either people who are in their late 20s, early 30s, who have gone through kind of a first iteration of their career and they're wanting to make a pivot. Or it's someone who's in their 40s, 50s, who has had a very long career already. And maybe it was something that paid the bills there was elements of it that maybe they they enjoyed or felt satisfying, but it wasn't totally the thing that, that lighted them up. And now they're at this point of like that midlife, uh, I won't say crisis, that midlife reflection. <laughs> point, well, what do I really want to yeah. do? What really matters to me? They're wanting to shift to really find that thing that they're passionate about and the thing that allows them to feel like they're making a difference in the world. And so... Interestingly, that's kind of the two main camps, very different sides of the spectrum in terms of where they're at in their career, but it's always at this pivotal moment and wanting to shift towards towards meaning. And have you observed differences that you've had to kind of use in your own techniques between working with the different generations? Because there is a significantly different experience between working with Gen Xers and Millennials. Is there a way that I need that I, sorry, say that. Yeah. Sorry. Is there a way you need to adjust or Mm -hmm. 
kind of coach a little bit differently just based on how the generations just naturally are somewhat different with different experiences? It tends to be really individual. I'm very adaptable. And so the way that I coach, um, the way that I maybe give homework, the way that I am accountable for those that I'm working with can shift depending on what that person needs. We all work differently. We all process differently. We all feel supported in different ways. I try to, you know, show up. <laughs> There's that yeah. word again, show up show in a up. way mm-hmm. that serves that person. From a generational standpoint, I haven't seen too much of a distinction in how I'm serving because I do think that, you know, regardless of age, it's a psychological and spiritual place in their life that this person has come to despite their age of wanting to focus their energy on the pursuit of meaningful contribution and and feeling like there's a purpose to what they're doing. And I think anyone who's having like that thought process, there's that common thread there where I know that the way I've built out the programs that I offer and the way that I show up is going to meet those needs. I think that makes sense because maybe that's something that we place a little bit too much emphasis on like, okay, this generation's like this, this generation's like that. And it's a way more individual because, you know, like I'm not just millennial, I'm me and I'm me for all the different reasons that makes me who I am. Right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I'm sure there's generational differences that I'm not necessarily thinking about in the moment right now. So I'll have to sit with that for a little bit, but, but I will say like, for the most part, there really is like a a, a massive generational difference in, in what that relationship looks like. And well, I hope I didn't get inside your head for the next person. You, <laughs> next time you're on a client meeting, you're like, okay, this person's a Gen Xer, and, and I need to think about, you know, what, what what it means to have, you know, known what the world before the internet was like, and all that stuff. You know, <laughs> there's there's value in in both ways of thinking about it or entering the conversation. My mind is programmed to think so individualistically not as macro of like, oh, hmm, interesting. Like there's a theme in these types of clients that are showing up and these types of clients that are showing up. Like I know my partner who is much more strategy, analytical, data-driven minded. Like if he was going through the same process, he would hundred percent have all the information for you about, you know, how one generation differs from another generation. Yeah. But my mind is very much like this person is just different from this person. It's different. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's okay. After, um, after reading remix by Lindsay Pollock, I chose to identify myself as a perennial, which is someone that regardless of age decides to continue to keep up with trends in the world and never really become quote unquote set in your ways. And so that would be the easiest way to describe myself in, in that kind of basic term. And then uh, finally, if anyone listening is uh, interested in getting a hold of you, uh, interested in your services, what will be the best way to, to contact you after hearing this conversation? Yeah. Well, you can definitely show me an email at Ariel, A-R-I-E-L, at performwithpurpose.org. That org is important. The mm-hmm. .com was taken. <laughs> <laughs> or if, if you just want to learn more about me, you can always go on my website uh, at www.performwithpurpose.org. <laughs> the, I was telling 
you, Stephen, earlier that summer tends to be a time that is slower, more time for just reflection and building and connecting and less client work. So with that said, I do have some more space available right now. Don't hesitate to to reach out if, if I feel like aligned for what you're looking for in your life right now. Well, that is amazing. And I will leave everyone with a quote that I actually just pulled up from your website, performwithpurpose.org. This one resonated with me because after watching the show, uh, The Good Place a couple of years ago, I went on a philosophy kick and started reading about a lot of different philosophers. And I saw you have uh, a quote from Nietzsche that says, those who have a why to live can bear with almost any how. Yeah, it's a good one. You know, I've identified my underlying purpose behind kind of all the different pursuits I'm involved in, even though they're a little bit scattered and all over the place. And uh, I hope everyone out there can find theirs. Ariel, thank you so much for joining us today on Actions Antidotes. Thank you so much, Stephen. It's been really, really a fun conversation. I appreciate it. And I'd also like to thank everyone out there for listening. And I hope that you had a lot of ideas about how to find your why out of this discussion. And um, if you like it, continue tuning in to Actions Antidotes for all the previous and future episodes because there's been over 60 by now. So that's a pretty decent portfolio. Awesome. (laughs) Excellent. Have a fantastic day.